I want to tell you the story. Not the whole thing, of course, just the beginning, just the very beginning. In the very beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And when God began to create the earth, God encountered the formless chaos and the darkness. And God's Spirit hovered close to the chaos, right there next to the chaos, surrounded by the deep darkness. God was there. That's how God began to create the earth, hovering down over the dark, deep waters, coming in close to the chaos. And then God spoke. Did God whisper? God so close and the darkness so complete, perhaps a whisper would have been enough. Or did God's voice echo forth to silence the din of the chaos so that all would pay attention to its maker? Whatever the sound, it was enough. As God's spirit hovered over the dark waters, God spoke out into the chaos and said, let light come into being. In the chaos, God spoke and new creation happened there was light. And not just light, but now order. For the void of darkness and chaos was replaced with the rhythm of night followed by the first day. The nameless was named and the namer was God. And the rhythm of night and day kept going and God kept talking and chaos kept retreating and creation sprang forth. God called forth the sea and the sky and the land. God spoke and the seas were filled and the skies were filled and the land was filled. And periodically, along the way, one notices that there is less and less darkness and chaos. And more and more life and more and more beauty and more and more light. It was, the Bible says, good. The sun and the moon, good. The grass and the trees, good. The birds and the fish, good. And then in a crescendo, God spoke, let humanity bear our image and our likeness. And God made us, male and female, alike to bear God's image, to steward the creation and creatures in it, with a land to live in and plants to tend and eat, the animals to rule, and the men and women of humanity to love and care for. And in the light of that sixth day, God could see all that God had called out of the chaos, and God declared it was very good. And the rhythm of night and day just kept going. 
And the seventh day came after a busy week of hovering over chaos, of speaking out creation, and God stopped working. And God was. And creation was very good. You must never forget how the story starts. With the chaos and darkness driven back by the goodness of all God spoke into being. But the story also begins this way. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. In a barren land, God calls forth a man, Adam forming Adam with God's hands and breathing spirit into his lungs, and he was alive. And for Adam's blessing, God filled the land with plants and animals and streams and placed him in a garden. And from there, the the story just becomes the story of God's blessing for God's image-bearer, Adam, blessed with work to do in the garden. Oh, the blessing of labor that makes a difference and matters eternally. Blessed to care for the very good creation and the very good place where God had put him to name the animals and care for them. Oh, the blessing of a calling and a life with purpose. Blessed even with boundaries of obedience, boundaries that must not be crossed crossed less destruction comes and therefore suddenly Adam has a possibility of rebellion but also a possibility of obedience so that the image bearers of God could choose the way of God's goodness and then blessed again with a fellow image bearer And then the gift of marriage between a man and a woman, flesh of flesh, an image bearer of God's likeness so different from and yet made for Adam, now made one flesh by God's command. And at this point in the story, here still very near the beginning of not just a story, but of the story, it was still very good. These image bearers of God lived naked with no barrier between themselves and no barrier between them and God and they felt no shame. Until one evening, God arrived to walk on the good earth with the most beloved of his creations, woman and man. And they were hiding, covered in branches and leaves, hiding, foolishly enough, from God. So much goodness that God meant for them, and instead they had taken that which was not meant for them. God made them as beings who could choose and who could choose to love, and they had chosen poorly, and they had loved 
wrongly. God had brought order out of chaos for them. And they had rejected the order of God. God had driven back the darkness with light. And they had sought the darkness once again into God's very good creation. Chaos had reentered. The chaos of sin and relational struggle and most repugnantly disease and death. The very undoing of the life God had created. You may have heard this story before. Or at least heard about it. It's often called the fall. But I'm afraid that is a bit too kind. We were deceived, but we did not trip. We chose poorly. The fall was, I weep, a leap. From God's good order, we leapt to make a way of our own. They were so foolish to choose novelty over goodness. The road to chaos, it seems, is paved with lies and rebellion. And this rebellion cracked creation. Darkness and chaos spilled back in, and the blessings of God got mixed up with curses. The blessing of relationship mixed up with loneliness and dominance and strife. The blessing of productivity mixed up now with the curse of toil and weariness. The blessing of care mixed with the curse of loss and grief. Even the blessing of life now shadows. By the coming of death. And from the great leap of humanity out of God's goodness came the fall of all things. From here the story seems to spiral out of control. God spoke life but now there is death. God spoke health and now there is disease. God spoke love and now there is hatred and violence and murder. It's as if we left off, leapt off the land away from the light and back into the dark chaos of the deep over which God's spirit once hovered. But even in the moment of the leap and the fall of the fall, God did not forget God's love. And there's more to be told of the chaos that came after. There are floods and death and towers and pride, but be assured of this, as the chaos churned, God stayed present. God did not abandon God's creation. God was not thrown off by the chaos. God knows how to work in chaos. The story started with the formless void and the darkness of the deep when God once spoke and now in the continued chaos, God will speak again. God once again says, let there be light, except this time the light is the true light of Christ. 
who re-enters the world as day enters the night and drives it back. And as we tell the big story, we're going to get to that part. But today, we need to learn from the beginning of the story. The very beginning of the story. Because it isn't just a story. It's the story. It's the story we live in. And and what you just heard is the story, the wonderful story of how it began. We're kicking off a new series today. It's called The Fundamentals. And the purpose of this series is to to move through some of the most basic foundational truths of of the witness of God's Scripture. You know, like like in sports, right? I know we notice the trick plays, right? And and we, we talk about the surprise endings and the Hail Marys, and those may win games, but it's the fundamentals that win championships. Do we pass and move the ball without errors that lead to turnovers? Do we block and tackle and dribble and shoot with consistency? And our faith is the same way. So much of the life of faith is built on relatively simple foundational truths. And that's what we're exploring in this series. If you're new to the Christian faith, uh, this might sort of serve as as an introduction So kind of what is it that Christians claim about the world? If you've been a Christian for a while and things have gotten fuzzy, maybe this will help you refocus and remind you of the basic truths of God's testimony about who God is and who we are and what Christ has accomplished. And today we're just going to look at the beginning of the story. For those of you who know that the end of the story is awesome, don't worry, we'll get there. But today, just the beginning. We often call it the creation story. Uh, You can find it in your Bibles in Genesis chapter 1 through 3. And and every part of the story I just told is based off those three chapters. Genesis chapter 1 through 3. The first three chapters of the Bible. We, we call it the creation story, but, but really, if you were to go look at the text, you would see it's sort of two stories, or, or maybe, maybe we could say it's two tellings of the same story. Kind of there's one telling of the story from Genesis 1 through Genesis 2, verse 3, and then in Genesis 2, verse 4, there's kind of a, a, diff- a second telling of the story. It goes all the way back to the beginning and kind of retells the story again. And these stories especially as the two work together, are designed to focus our attention on some truths that will just change the whole way you see the world. Now, there's a lot we could talk about that we won't talk about today. Uh, One of the most interesting conversations about the creation story today right now is people like to talk about what does this text tell us about how creation happened? And I understand the interest in that conversation, and I enjoy the conversation myself, but that isn't where we're going to focus today, in part because I think the text itself actually points us to focus other places 
first. If you go look at the text, you'll notice lots of questions we have about the how of creation just aren't addressed in the text. And if you look at the two stories put together, you'll notice they have different details, sometimes in a different order. As if to say that the how isn't our first question. Instead, the text, for starters, draws our attention less to the question of how and first to the question of who. And the text just sings out with crystal clarity, God created. The two tellings may have some details they focus on differently, but on this they agree that all of existence itself is anchored in the will and purpose of the one true God. It does not exist of its own accord. It is not spontaneous in origin, but rather it flows out of the will and intention of God. To ancient readers, this would have been especially, especially shocking claim of the text. The earliest readers and tellers of the biblical creation story uh, lived surrounded by pagan religions all around them. And the pagan religions of Israel's day made gods of creation. They worshipped the sun and the moon and the rivers and the seas. They worshipped bulls and birds and fish and snakes. They worshipped wheat. They worshipped the harvest. Sometimes they even worshipped people. And in contrast, the biblical creation story declares our God made what you worship. This was a highly confrontational creation story in the ancient world. Our God made what you worship. Beyond that, God's people declared that to worship the creation instead of the creator is idolatry. It's one of the foundational sins that leads to a whole host of other sins. And still today, this answer to the question who puts Christians in high contrast with the philosophies of our world. Secular humanism, materialism, they build their foundation on the creation, on, on the world. The pagans might have said, creation is all there is, so creation itself must be a god. The materialist says, there is no god, so creation itself is all there is. But not the Christian. Christian says creation is the creation of God. So, of course, we are gentle. We are gentle with those who think in these other ways. Because apart from the revelation of God's word and the testimony of Christ, how else could you think but like the pagans and think creation itself is the God? Or like the materialist and think creation is all there is? So we're gentle with those who think in these ways. But we are not deterred in our witness because our story starts somewhere else. That existence itself is founded on the will and purpose 
of God. Speaking of those purposes, there is another question that is addressed by the very beginning of our story. Not just who, but why. Why is there something rather than nothing? Why does existence even exist? Not like, why am I here? But why are any of us here? Why has anything ever happened ever? It's hard to answer that question apart from God. But I love the answer that the Bible gives us. Genesis 1 points us to creation that exists as an expression of the glory and goodness of God. In fact, the Bible comes back to this theme again and again in the Psalms and the prophets that everything that is exists to give glory and express the glory and goodness of God. And then Genesis 2 adds a second layer to this. All creation exists, and especially the specific world that God has created exists to bless us. It's just just crazy. You go back and read Genesis 2 again and again. God just keeps doing things to bless Adam. The plants, the animals, the rivers, the streams, the garden, the woman, all given to bless God's beloved image-bearing creatures. I mentioned recently that I, I was out hiking and found a new waterfall that I hadn't seen before. And I'll just tell you, from the second I saw it, my heart could not stop praising God. For I experienced in that moment what God's word teaches, that creation exists to give glory to God. And as I saw it, I praised God. But I also experienced what scripture teaches, that creation exists to bless us. And I was blessed with a creek to swim in and a waterfall to jump off of. God was glorified. I was blessed. That's why the world exists. And there's so much more we could say. I I just want to make one more big observation from the very beginning of the story that we just can't miss from the very beginning of the story. It's two interconnected truths that, that sort of form a paradox that we cannot ever let go of. We, it's, we, if, we, if you hold on to half the paradox, you, you'll mess up what God's word teaches. Creation is beautiful, and creation is broken. You, you, can't, you can't ever let go of one of those things. They have to go together. Genesis 1, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Genesis 2, God creates a world to bless, to bless, to bless, and we are blessed. And then in Genesis 3, a crack appears. And and it seems like nothing's ever going to be the same after the crack, right? The crack appears in Genesis 3. And, And all those blessings get mixed up with curse, you know. The beautiful world we live in is broken. The, the, the image-bearing people that we are, we no longer perfectly reflect that image anymore. You see, when humanity sinned, rebelling against the good boundaries God gave us, 
the world fell. And our lives and this world are now a shadowed reflection of the goodness of God. A shadowed reflection of the image of God. A shadowed reflection of the glory of God. There's a lot more we could learn from this story, but that's a pretty good place to start. All creation exists by God's command. It's the foundation from which all creation makes sense. All creation is an expression of God's glory and God's blessing for you. When you walk outside and see a sunset and take a deep breath and feel loved, God meant for that to happen. God wanted that to be the effect of God's creation on you. It is designed as a blessing to you. But thirdly, all creation, as a result of our sin and rebellion against God, is a cracked reflection of God's glory. And these truths are essential to building a Christian worldview, kind of a a perspective on life. How How do you understand the world? You can't figure out how to think about the world like a Christian without these kind of core things. There's more we could talk about. Now, now I want to be clear. We're we're going to to spend six weeks on the basics of the Christian faith. Um, And we're going to get to a lot of stuff. There's so much more to say, right? God is not content with leaving creation as a shattered reflection of God's glory and goodness. And God has a plan to redeem it and perfect it and rescue it. God has a plan to address the brokenness of the world. God has a plan to address your brokenness and heal all things and get back. And we're going to get there, okay? But I can't preach all six sermons at once. We'd run out of time. Y'all would walk up and leave, you know. So we're just going to start with the first fundamental. God created, and what God created is beautiful and broken. And, and, and just a couple things, just, just to give you a sense of how this shapes the way we think about the whole world. Just, just here, what are some things we learn from this, right? Well, well, think about what we learn about creation care, right? The modern environmental movement didn't invent creation care. Christians did that, right? Caring for this earth was humanity's first job. Go back and look at Genesis 2, 15. First thing, God put Adam in a garden and said, you're going to work in the garden and take care of it. That was our first job. We're called to be stewards of this world. I love it when I see a Christian pick up trash or plant a tree or, or, or recycle something. We don't worship creation, but we care for it. Because it's the beautiful thing God gave us to express God's glory and to bless us. That makes a lot of sense. Or think about what we learn about work, right? Productive labor was given to humanity before the fall. Good work to do is good. Now, I know that after the fall, our work got mixed up with toil and weariness. And we experience that too. But it's an honor It's an honor to be able to do good work in this world. Here's a big one. Think about what this perspective, what a creation-based perspective on people is like. You see, the testimony of Scripture about how the story began, it will change how you see yourself and how you see every single person you meet. 
Every single person from the womb to the tomb, every human being is a miraculous image bearer of God. And so when you hurt another person, when you insult someone, some politician, some teacher you don't like, when you insult someone, when you ignore a hurting neighbor, when you tear down a former friend, you are hurting, wounding, insulting, ignoring, tearing down a living miracle spoken into being by the very voice of God. When you write a person off because of their sin or their confusion or their mistakes, you are merely noticing their brokenness. And that's one of the things you have in common with them, right? How can that possibly make sense to write someone off because they're broken when you're broken too? Everybody's broken. When you tear yourself down, When you tear yourself down, when you are merciless to yourself, when you tell yourself you're worthless or unforgivable or unlovable, well, that can only happen if you forget how the story started. Because your brokenness, well, that's not your whole story. Your brokenness isn't how your story started at all. Your story started when God whispered you into being. When God spoke out into the chaos and said, let there be my beloved, precious in the eyes of the creator, is every single one that God has made and God has loved. This is the ongoing paradox of humanity. Like a priceless painting that is in need of restoration, every person you meet is a miracle of God's creation. Every person you meet is the most amazing thing you'll see all day. It's more amazing than a sunrise. It's more amazing than watching a caterpillar turn into a butterfly. Just just seeing somebody walk down the street is more amazing than that. Bearing God's image and yet separated from God by their sin. You are priceless, beautiful, and beloved, and you are wounded, hurting, and fallen. Like those are always true, all at the same time. But God has not forgotten who you were meant to be. I don't want to keep spoiling the rest of these sermons, but I just want you to know we're going to talk about you in some of these sermons too. We're going to talk about the fact that your fallenness is not your final reality. And that the whole rest of the story is about how God wants to heal everything, including you. So you come back next week. And then the week after, maybe you bring someone who needs to be reminded of the basic truths. And we're just going to work through the big arc of the story. We're going to make it all the way to the end and just declare the glory of God as it has worked us out in history. But right now, I want to learn one more thing 
from the creation story. I just want to learn one more thing. I want to learn how to worship. If all of creation is an expression of God's glory and God's goodness, then all of creation should lead us to worship. This is what the Psalms and the prophets do when they talk about creation. This is where they focus. They say creation itself is an expression of God's glory, that creation itself sings out praise to God. Psalm 148 says this, Praise the Lord, sun and moon. Praise him, all you shining stars. Praise him, you highest heavens, you water above the skies. Praise the name of the Lord. He's basically going through Genesis chapter 1. It's almost, you almost think he must have a copy of Genesis chapter 1 right next to him, going through all this that God has made and says, Praise him. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for at his command they were created, and he established them forever and ever. He issued a decree that will never pass away. We still get to be a part of that. Some of you this week need to do that, right? You just need to go park someplace pretty or go for a little walk till you're someplace beautiful and just look around till you can hear the mountains and the trees and the sun and the moon praise God and you praise God as well. The prophet Isaiah assures us that not only does creation praise God, but creation is a promise to us that allows us to praise God. Here's what he says. You will go out in joy. And be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills will burst into song before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the juniper. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And this will be for the Lord's renown for an everlasting sign that will endure. Uh, The band's about to come out and we're going to worship God uh, together. It's going to be a brand new song. Uh, I only heard it for the first time on Thursday. Uh, and and, and some, of, some of us are just going to want to just listen to it, you know, for the first time. And that's okay. You can still worship to God while you listen and learn a new song. Uh, but as you get to know the song, uh, uh, maybe you'll join in and sing. Maybe as you get to know the song. It's a great song. And it celebrates exactly what Isaiah is saying. That creation itself gives God glory. That creation, when we just look at the world God created, we see a testimony that God is good, that God has blessed us, and that God will heal what is broken. I I love what Isaiah says, Isaiah 55, 13. He says this, he says, Every time you see flowers where a thorn bush could be growing, like you're driving down the road and you see a ditch and you see flowers in a ditch instead of a thorn bush. Every place you see flowers where there could be a thorn bush, there's an eternal testimony that our God is faithful, our God is good, our God is blessing you, our God loves you, and that this world will be restored through God's Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray right now, and then we'll worship God together. God, we thank you that we are not lost in a world without meaning, in the void and the darkness. But we live in the world you created. And that we can see in your creation the glory of God revealed and the blessing 
of God upon us made clear. And God, in our lives and in this world, we know that there is brokenness. The fall is real and the fall is in us. But we depend on your promise that the beauty of your creation has merely been dimmed, that has not been forgotten, and that you will restore everything that has been broken. And so right now, in tune with the mountains and the trees that sing your praise, we too give you glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.